when it comes to the lordship of Jesus Christ, I understand that when you make a profession of faith and at the first day when your eyes get open, you recognize Jesus is the son of God and that you want to put your trust in him and follow him. And you say, yes, Lord, I will. And, and you believe he died, he rose again from the dead and you respond and you know, things shift inside you. Now, when you say, um, um, well, am I perfect? Are there more opportunities to say that he's Lord? Absolutely. Does that mean he's not Lord then? No, he is Lord. He's Lord all the time. You can't make him anything. I'll say that again. You don't have the power to make Jesus Lord. Do you know why? Because he is Lord. He's been exalted to the right hand of the Father. And that's not talking about a smaller space on the throne. He's talking about being at the right hand of power. He, has, he is the one that exercises the will of the Father, demonstrating his power and reality. He's not lesser than. And he's come. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Oh, I'm getting excited about this. I'm sorry. But Jesus is Lord. And when you come to know him, when you say to him that first day, Jesus, Lord, your Lord, I trust you. And he say, well, I slipped up. That means I just had Jesus as Savior, not as Lord. That's false. Because you could never enter the kingdom without having Jesus as Lord. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it doesn't say Savior. I don't know, sometimes as evangelists we can like use the very passage. Maybe Doug can put that up on the screen so you can just read it for yourself as well. That's in Romans chapter 10. That if you confess with your mouth, what? And believe in your heart. So there's no savior in there. Please hear me. He saves you because he's Lord. <laughs> he saves you because he's, and we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's the only savior. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. God has commanded all men everywhere and women, by the way, to repent and put your trust in Christ alone. There is no other savior. Jesus said, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the... And no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. He said that. If you deny him, you're not getting to the Father. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. He says, he's preparing it for those who belong to him. You come through me. And if you deny him, you're an antichrist. Anyone who denies Jesus has come. The Son of God has come in the flesh. It's the spirit of Antichrist. So there is no prophet. There is no religion. There is no framework of philosophy. There is no meditation. There is no um, uh, whatever you want to do. You can do smells and bells and jump through the streets. It doesn't matter. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Christ himself and what he's accomplished in going to the cross and rising from the dead. Jesus is Lord. Do you believe that? There will be times in your life where you're going to come to crossroads where it's like you've come to a wall and you're like, the Lord is asking me to step forward and like, I'm struggling with that. Listen, I'm a foreigner, so forgive me. At least twice I have given away everything I owned 
because Jesus said, go to that nation there. I left my nation, my people, my way of life. I tell you, when I left, I was making good money too. I had a good position, good outlooks. I'd receive a dollar an hour raise every year. And I had extra because they said I was doing a good job. The only guy carrying keys to a $6 million worth of merchandise, and that was back then in the building. And God says, go. I gave it all up. Was it hard? Sometimes it is. I gave my car away. I didn't sell it. I gave it away. Why? Because someone had given me a car at one point, and I gave, watch, I think it was the other way, and I gave mine away, and then somebody gave me a car. It just goes that way. And you find that as God's taking you to a line, he says, now step with me. You're like, that's hard. He says, I know. I've been there, and I've done it. He left everything. He left everything to come to this planet as a missionary. He came as a foreigner from heaven into earth, breathing earth's air. From the throne room of ruling power and angels worship, he comes and he, he, he breathes the air of this planet. Why? For you and for me. He gives everything away. And he became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Naked, dying, leaving his life, pouring it out for you. And there's a point to where he says, listen, I understand. It's not easy. Remember what he prayed in the garden? Father, if this cup can pass for me. Was it easy what he was going to go through? No. But he says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And so you're going to find yourself in moments, even as someone who has confessed Jesus as Lord, where you've got a line and you're like, oh, this is, and you have to make the step again. You're Lord. It's a, it's a further confession of his Lordship in your life. And that's how you walk all the way home. That's how you follow in his footsteps. Does it mean that he wasn't my Lord or he wasn't my Savior? No, no, it's because he is that the conversation is even happening. And you have to make the decision. You're responding to his lordship. And that's what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom, but those who do the will. They walk it through. We believe that here at New Hope. And that's something that if you come here, you're going to hear it over and over and over again. And what will happen to you is probably one of two things. Either in your listening to it, you're going to hear it, and you're going to harden, harden up. You're going to get used to hearing it to where it just doesn't phase you anymore. That's God's judgment on you. When God hands you over to the hardness of your heart, it's God's judgment. See, well, sometimes we're waiting for fire to fall from heaven and like consume us. While we were in worship, I was saying about waiting on the Lord for words of knowledge. And it came off of some, I, someone was praying, and I don't remember who it was. But there, there, there's a framework where it, it's almost like there are those, maybe here, maybe online, I don't want to assume. But you're, you're, you're like, well, fine. Let's just see who you are, God. And if you're really God, then kill me. Do you think your, <laughs> do you think your little moan and your little attempt to manipulate God will work? 
All he has to do is say, okay, just go your way. Bye, little boy. Bye, little girl. As if that's going to do anything to him in his kingdom. He can contain you so that your life just ebbs away. In fact, it could get worse. He could allow the enemy to so entertain you all the way to hell that you do so with gladness walking into the gates of fire. (sighs) Wouldn't want to be you. But we can have this attitude of heart. There's a fight. Or we're like, we, we put our fist in the face of God. Listen, that kind of wickedness, that kind of wickedness, Please, don't let your heart deceive you to that end. Don't let your heart deceive you. Don't let your flesh so reign in you that you're like, you're willing to be like Jonah. Well, I don't want to obey God. Just throw me over the side of the boat and let me die. Until he started getting seaweed wrapped around his head, he changed his mind. He cries out to God. We believe Jesus is Lord. He's on the throne. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. He has all authority in heaven. I thought only God does. That's because Jesus is God. All authority in heaven. And there are people who get involved in all sorts of witchcraft. They get involved in thinking that they can curse people and all that kind of stuff. Listen, you may have your time, what you think in darkness or what you might think is in the sun, but in in a moment it'll shift. And the very things that you're using to try to get power will turn on you and you will become the object of their scorn. Lord, may it be so. Anyway, we believe here that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's the only Savior. He's the only Lord. We also believe that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. John, when he came preaching the gospel of repentance, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, I'm here, I baptize you in water. Some of you have only had a water baptism. (laughs) He said that Jesus came, he says, the one coming after me comes to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Some of you have only had a water baptism. You've been baptized in water. You made a profession, but you're not walking in any kind of power. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes and he comes to fill your life, it's a lordship issue. Jesus is Lord in heaven. The Holy Spirit comes to be Lord inside you. So that as you walk on the planet, the lordship of Jesus, the character of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the power of his resurrection is at work in your life. He's the one that enables you to say no and yes. He's the one that's enabled you to go across the line when you find it difficult. He's the one that enables you to endure when you have no more strength. He's strong when you're strong. He's strong when you're weak. But he's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Some of you have only had a baptism in water. You made a profession of faith, and now you feel like you're a fish out of water. The water doesn't save, the oil does. (laughs) It's the anointing of God on your life. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to do a number of things in you. Not only lead you into truth, not only be the one to open the scriptures for you so that you can understand them as you read them, but he's the one that empowers you. He's the only one that tames the tongue. Anyone ever had a problem with their tongue? The rest of you who didn't just told a lie. Because you've said stuff you shouldn't. You've told lies that you shouldn't. 
And you know it even when you're doing it. And you're thinking to yourself, why am I saying this? Some of you lost your temper and the person sitting next to you is the one that found it. And you ripped them a new one, as they say, with your tongue. You hurt them something deeply. And you're like, after you get done, you even say to yourself, I don't know why I said it. I don't have control over my tongue naturally. In fact, James says no man has tame, has been able to tame his tongue. We as human beings can tame just about everything. You got your dog, you can make it sit, stand up, speak. You got little birdies that you can make them do this and that. I don't know, I've seen all sorts of weird and wonderful. I saw someone even train cats, which seems like an impossibility. But train your tongue. It's only the power of heaven that can get a hold of your tongue and make it something useful that won't burn down things and ruin people's lives. And even ruin yours, falsely boasting in stuff you don't have. The Holy Spirit comes, he touches the tongue. You remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Something strange happened over them. It says burning fiery tongues appeared over them because God was doing something for them. Because out of, the, out, of the, out, of the, out of men of other tongues, it says he was gonna confound things. And then he, what he does is he turns and he touches the tongue and he, he, he enables you to pray because you don't know how to pray. Religious people think they can pray. Hypocrites, they stand in the synagogues and pray. That's what Jesus said. They think that they're heard because of their long prayers or as much as we sing, right? It is two hours or whatever it is that we sing here. The Holy Spirit comes to touch the tongue. He helps you to pray because you don't know how to pray as you ought. I don't know how to pray as I ought. The Holy Spirit is my helper. He's the one that enables me to pray. He released my tongue when he baptized me in his spirit and, and, and my tongue got loosed. And I, there's, a, there's a gift of tongues there's a, and a self-edifying gift that he gives. And I believe it's for every believer. Yeah. I do not believe that God says to some of us, you can speak in tongues and you can pray in tongues and that's just for you. You can edify yourself and that's what scripture says it does. But the rest of you, you have to struggle. That's inconsistent. Now, they're not talking about sometimes when Queenie has a word and she gives a tongue. That's different. That's different. That's a prophetic aspect that needs interpretation. But prayer that comes and flows through you where it's between your spirit and God, that by all means, do it. Sometimes I walk around in this room. I've been doing a little bit of exercise. I don't know if it's showing. That was a hint, guys. You should just nod and say, yes, pastor, looks good. But I'll tell you, I'll spend 45 minutes to an hour walking around in here praying in tongues. It builds me up. Helps me to carry what's stronger than I am, heavier than what I am. Well, it, that came out wrong. But anyway, heavier. And helps me to carry stuff that are, is too heavy for me. The Holy Spirit comes to help you to pray. How many of you guys need help in your prayer life? Well then, guess who you need? I said, listen, I'm not saying what you need. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is not just power. He's a person. He's a third person of the triune God. The Father, before all things, God was there, and, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He's not an it. He's a him. He comes to bring the authority, just like Jesus, who's just like the Father, to bring all of it into your life. He comes not only to help you to pray, he helps you to praise. I see some of y'all in worship. 
I tell you, if, if you say you're a Christian and uh, you'd find it difficult to praise God, there is a massive disconnect somewhere. Something's gone way wrong. Because God says in, in John chapter 4, he says that he comes and seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. Yeah. So being saved means you become a worshiper. So praise is something that ought to be on your lips. Praise is something that ought to be there. The Holy Spirit comes to empower you to pray and to praise as you ought. Not just in front of people. I mean, there's some of you, if we gave you a mic, you could sing all day. But go into your private space, go into your room by yourself and worship God there. Praise him there. Some of you, some of you might even be able to stand up here and pray. Well, I could do better than this person or that person. But in your own room, in your own house, not a word goes up before the throne of God. And I tell you, if you carry any five-fold ministries, prayer has got to be a must in your life. If you carry prophetic anointing and that prophetic gift, prayer is your food. Because prayer is where you go in and meet so that you can meet with God in his throne room and hear what he's saying so that you have anything to say to anyone. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit comes to help you to pray, he helps you to praise, and he'll help you to preach. I couldn't preach in front of people. I know I've said that to you. I know most of you probably don't even believe it. I'm telling you the honest truth. I couldn't speak. I would freak out with the amount of people that were in here. I have spoken in front of hundreds of thousands, and that's, and that's at one time. I'm telling you the truth. I couldn't do it. I, I would tremble so bad I'd be like this. I would go to open my mouth and nothing would come out. But when the Spirit of God comes, he loosens your tongue and empowers you. He strengthens those weak knees. He makes those arms, he lifts them up, and he enables you to do what you can't do on your own. No flesh can stand in the spiritual battle. Do you remember Peter? He said, Lord, um, I'll, go to the, I'll go to death with you if it's necessary. What did Jesus say? For the night's out, Peter, you're going to deny that you know me. No way. No way, Lord, I'll die for you. I, was Peter lying? He meant it. He was trying he, everything he had. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, it's only the spirit of the Lord that sets up the standard against him. And he does it in you. I believe that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and being baptized in the Holy Spirit is, is the inheritance of every single believer. Not just for those in ministry. Not just for those who are gonna be missionaries or pastors. No, if you drive a forklift, the power of the Spirit of God needs to be in you, filling you, overflowing. If you work at Foot Locker, or I don't know, a foot, a foot Shop. I don't know what they call it. I don't know what all of them are, right? You, 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 work at a, you work at Tesco's. You need the Spirit of God. Listen, I did security. Some of you know I've stopped you. It's funny when people come in here and they're like, I know you from somewhere. I'm thinking, I know you too. And working there at Tesco's and stuff, I'm telling you, the amount of times I've had to pray, Lord, I need your power here. See, power and authority are different, by the way. I know I'm digressing for a second. We'll get back to this in a moment. See, when we come to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit enables it, that, that, well, when, we, when we're baptized into Christ by the Spirit of God, when we come to faith, 
you're given an authority because you're in Christ. All right, how much authority does Jesus have? Try that again. How much authority does Jesus have? Okay, all authority. Where? And where? Okay, so is there any realm that's outside of his authority? Okay, so he owns it. It's his. He earned it. It's his. It's his by birthright in the sense he's the, he's the firstborn to come into the world. He's been given everything, the throne, everything. So all authority is there. So if you're placed in Christ, now you share in delegated authority. You understand? So <laughs> you need to catch this. So when you're in Christ... It's his authority, it's not yours, but he still makes you a representative of it. He still makes you a representative of it. When I was um, pastoring at one, one church, and I would preach the gospel like this on Sunday nights, and, and I had people, they'd sit there, they'd listen, they'd mock, they'd do all sorts of things. And I'd go and I'd preach, and I remember one Sunday I went to get in my car, and I was just, forgive me, I, was, I think I was complaining, really. And I said, Lord, they're tired of hearing me preach the gospel. I hope that's not anyone here. If it is, I'm sorry. I'm going to keep doing it. But I went to get in my car. And as I, as I, as I did, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The Lord spoke to me, actually. And he said, um, then tell them for me. I want that to sink in. Whose message is it? I'm, I'm just an ambassador of his. It's not my message, guys, I didn't make it up. It's his message. God is pleading through me to you to be reconciled to God, okay? So when you stand in authority that isn't yours, you're doing so as an ambassador of Christ. You're doing it as an ambassador of heaven. So the authority of heaven, the truth of heaven, how about this, the breath of heaven, who's the spirit himself, fills you up so that you can speak on God's behalf so that you can stand in that authority. Does that make sense? Now, authority without power is rough. So everyone who is in Christ, you, you inherit by birthright, being born again into the kingdom. You, 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 you're, this, this authority is bestowed upon you for making disciples and seeing the gospel preached around the world. But being able to walk in it is different. I'll give you an illustration. When I worked at Tesco's, sometimes, uh, Edson isn't here tonight, I don't know, but, oh, is he? Oh, Edson, sorry, I didn't see you. Hi, dude, bless you. But there are times I'm like on the radio to him and saying, Edson, there's a bunch of guys that just came in and they're really big. And they're messing around on whatever aisle it is. Maybe they're in the alcohol aisle opening up bottles. Oh, what happened there? Someone comes in, they're carrying something, you know it's gonna get a little bit awkward. I have the authority to stop them, but I may not have the power to do it. Authority is the right to exercise power, but power is what backs up the authority. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the Spirit of God, Jesus said, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be endued with power the power of Christ, the power of heaven, so that you're implementing and you're enforcing the victory that Jesus won. 
Jesus went to the cross, died, and rose again. It says that he gives that authority and the power to trample serpents, scorpions. Nothing of the enemy shall by any means hurt you. He was nailed to a cross and publicly and openly defeated the devil. He came to deliver those who were held in bondage to fear of death. See, the devil's a cut off branch. He's going to hell. There's nothing that can happen for him. That, that, that being that had been in eternity, that being that had been in eternity now is lost. And because you belong to Christ, because you belong to Christ, you're seated far above all principality and power in him. But we need the power of the spirit to implement the authority that's been given so that we can pray for the sick, so that you can walk it through when difficulty hits you, that you have endurance power to keep going and not quit. How many of you guys need that kind of power? Every day I need that power. Every day. Every day. Jesus says, abide in me and you'll bear fruit that will remain. I need to comment on that. Because sometimes I watch people, they want to pray for the sick. They're not abiding in Christ. I've seen it. People, oh, somebody got healed. Their ears got healed. Look, the deaf is hearing. But somehow, next couple of hours, their hearing goes back again. I get puzzled at that. Whose fault is it? I don't even know how to word it. But Jesus said, your fruit shall remain. So maybe that person isn't abiding like they say they are. Is it getting warm in here or is it just me? Is it warm in here? Is it? Okay. Well, maybe, I don't know. I, just, I don't know if the heating's on. Or, is the heating on? Or, it's just, I'm sorry. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you, I'm not the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. You can come up for a prayer. They're not the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Who is? So who do you go to? Now, I'll tell you this, that what can happen is that we can go to him together and we can pray for one another so that by the laying on of the hands that you can know the baptism of the Spirit of God. Fair enough? I hope you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be able to last out the dark periods that are coming, you will not be able to do it without the Holy Spirit's power. Jesus gave a parable of, of, of 10 virgins. Now, this was the idea. They were waiting for the bridegroom to come because they were going to join in the reception party and the marriage party and the kind of the, the train as they're coming in and, and the bride was going to come and, and they're waiting and it says that all of them fell asleep. All of them, all 10 of them. And then the cry came out that the bridegroom's coming and they wake up and they're like, oh, we got to go out and meet him. And the ones, and they all, you have to trim the lamps, you know, they're old fashioned lamps. You got to trim them up, get them ready, light them. Well, there was a problem because five of them didn't have oil and it burnt the wick all the way down. Their lights went out. And the other five, they had oil in their lamps. So when that burned, oh, it's great because it just keeps burning because the oil burns. And they went out to meet it. And he's going, oh, give us some of your oil. I said, ah, you go get your own oil. <laughs> you have oil? Get your own oil. And the scary thing was this. In Jesus telling this parable in Matthew 25, that those five went off to buy their own oil. And when they got back, they discovered the bridegroom had come. And he went inside and the door was shut. Two times in scripture, it tells us that there's a moment when God shuts, actually three, that God shuts the door. 
He did it with Noah. There came a moment when it was too late. When the rain started, it was, it's done. Just, Noah, open up. Dude, I can't. God shut the door. Genesis chapter 7, I think it's verse 16. And there's a time when Jesus says it twice, one in Mark, no, Luke, and then another one in Matthew, where he says the door is shut, and people pound on the door on the outside. Let, let, let us in. We know you. You taught in our streets. He says, who are you? I've never heard of you. I don't know you. The door is shut. It's too late. One of the reasons this is one of the things we have printed out and put out before you is a constant reminder Jesus said you need to abide in him. What's the attitude of it? It's like Mary and Martha. One's busy serving, the one's waiting at his feet. He's the anointed one. Jesus is the what? He's the really only, he's the first, pretty much the only anointed one. His anointing, it's not my anointing, it's actually his anointing. And it flows over you. If you stand under, <laughs> if you've ever had a leak somewhere, maybe dripping through this, if you stand under it long enough, what's going to happen to you? You'll get soaking wet. How about if you hang out with him at his feet where, where, where the oil will drip down on your life and you spend some time there. Now you're anointed. You want to maintain it? Stay there. You know, he says of that woman, he says, what she has will not be taken from her. A son has a permanent place in the house. A servant does not. Serving's good. Please hear me. I'm not telling you not to serve. By all means. Jesus said the greatest among you is him who serves. But you do it as a son or a daughter, not to serve to get in. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes to baptize us in power. So that the authority of Jesus can get played out in your life. Listen, you don't have to have a pulpit to preach. You know where your pulpit is? How many of you got a job? Oh, no. Only a couple of y'all have a job. Lord, we need help. Lord, bless them with work. How many of you got a family? How many of you got a home? I don't know. How many of you got a car? How many of you go to school? Well, guess, where, guess where your platform is? How about this? Wherever them feet take you. Wherever those feet take you. Here's a platform right here. I walk over here. Guess what? Guess what this is? I go over here. I stand right over here in front of Jane. All right. I got a platform right here. And the Bible tells me, repent and put your trust in him. Because he loves you with an infinite love. He died and rose to release you. Following him is the best. It's eternal. He gives a platform wherever you're at. Cut out there? Oh, no, I got it back. You could be in Tesco's and there's a platform. I stood doing security work. Guess what I did for people? I'd pray for the sick doing security work. One guy came in, him and his girlfriend. Oh, wait, do you think you could pray? He can't sleep and blah, 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 because I think it was weed or something was coming, trying to come off of. We prayed for him, comes in the next day. How'd you sleep? Fine. What did you do to me? <laughs> it's the power of God. Imagine having your own platform. 
Can I say, New Hope started as a platform in our living room. Actually, no, it didn't. It started in Tesco's because it grew from there as a Bible study into our living room, into our front room. It grew from there. And then in Trowbridge. And then we came here. Many of y'all weren't there back then. But the platform that God gives by the power of the Spirit, because there's a message to proclaim. And I believe, I believe, and at New Hope we believe this, that Jesus is the true healer. He's the true healer. He likes to heal so much that he likes to heal from, from body, soul, and spirit. He loves to heal so deeply that it changes who you are. How many of you guys have ever felt broken? I won't look. I've been there. I remember arguing with God. Even as a Christian, I was arguing with God because I'm trying to go forward and I feel like I'm just stuck. I won't ask who feels stuck. When I felt stuck and I'm like, Lord, maybe something's just wrong with me. I don't know, people, we, we come up with solutions. We try to think, well, what could it be? And we come up with our list of reasons on why. And then sometimes we just, well, I guess that's just the way it is. And I was arguing, not arguing. I had like these, I had tug of wars with God. I don't know how else to put it, but it, it, it's not I'm trying to be rebellious. I, I'm trying to take hold of the promises because I want the, the blessing. I want him to move in my life more and more. And then it's like, Lord, maybe something's wrong. I don't know, maybe I'm broken. He said, okay, wait, how big is the brokenness? How deep does it go, he asked me. I said, I don't know. Started thinking, how deep does it go in a human being? In me, in my, my, my character, my mind, thing I've been through. Maybe it's my, maybe it's my DNA. Maybe it's the inner core of me. He said, wait, that's why you have to be born again. See, the idea of being born again isn't just I get something new on top of the old. <laughs> I die. <laughs> and when you're dead, you're? And then he raises you to life. That's Christianity. It's a regeneration, not, not <laughs> it's from death to life. It's, it's not a trying to fix the old and make it better. That's a lie. That's religion, trying to perfect man outside of Christ by a bunch of rules. It doesn't work very well. And he comes to make us new inside. But the healing goes so deep. You know your soul. Okay, so you have your body. Different sizes, shapes, colors, fine. Your soul is that inner being that you have. It's the immaterial part of you. Can you say immaterial? Okay, so this is material. Then there's the immaterial, okay? That part immaterial is divided into two pretty much, two aspects the Bible teaches. The body, soul, and spirit. Your soul is who you are. That's your personality, if you wanna say it. There's a number of things. So if you could take a bag and label it, per, label it soul, there's a number of things that are in it. It's your mind. It's the way you think. Please hear me, it's not your brain. Your brain is physical. It's like a computer, right? You got the computer, the hardware, and then you got the software. The software part is your mind. That's the way you think. Your mind, your will, the ability to choose and to be able to enforce it. See, some of us can make choices, but we're stuck because we don't do it anyway. Our will, 
our, our, our emotions, how we feel. Boy, there's a lot of that going around. I don't know. Up, down, left, right. We run by it. Doesn't work well enough. We go and get some drugs to help it fix. Okay? Our emotions can be out of whack. Our mind, our will, our emotions, our, our conscience. You know that little voice that tells you, even when you don't want it to, stop it. That's wrong. You ever had that? You're like doing something. You even know you're doing it. And that little voice says, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. You go put your head down on your pillow. You've had a nice evening. Put it down on your pillow. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you did wrong. You did wrong. You did wrong. You're like, how do I silence that thing? And then we turn to all sorts of other stuff. But our conscience that was given to you by God is a help to you so that you can choose the right and, and, and go again and, 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 not, and reject the wrong. But your conscience, your memories, is what, what you've gone through has helped to shape you. Yeah? Some of you have been shaped weird-like. See, we've gone through some stuff that taught us some really bad lessons. Someone's hurt you. Ooh, I can't trust anyone now. Is that a truth? Is that a good lesson to learn? We tell it to the kids, once burnt, twice. It's a lie. Well, unfortunately, I, maybe it's true for many. But our memories teach us things. Someone's abused you when you were young. And it's shaped the way you make your decisions now. How many of you like to be free from some of the memories? I'm telling you, there is freedom tonight in Jesus. He's the true healer. Some of us, I'm, listen, I was like six. Someone tried to, someone did kidnap me. I'm glad nothing happened because the lady behind him was blaring her horn all the way across town so that he dropped me off at school. But sometimes people do things. Sometimes, sometimes even people in our families do stuff and put their hands in places that they shouldn't. And as men and as guys, sometimes people have done things that were, they're horrifying. And they made you feel less than a man. And sometimes what men do when that's happened to them, they will overexert themselves to prove that they're men at the damage of other people. I'm telling you, Jesus has a way of even healing to that degree. I speak from experience. He's the healer. He's the true healer. Some of us have gone through profound loss where someone in our life isn't there anymore for various reasons. And maybe you had this idea in your head that somehow God was doing it to you, that he was trying to destroy your life. And the devil is just mocking because God's getting the credit for destroying something when the Bible says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But we're angry, or we've been angry. And that memory is teaching us maybe, I don't know if I can trust God with my whole life, because if I do, what if he wants to destroy me? Jesus said this, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then he proved it by laying his down. Is this making some sense? These things affect us inside. Sometimes we can learn lessons where, we, some of you are workaholics, I won't ask any hands. Some of you work really, really hard, and the world will tell you that's a brilliant quality. You'll work yourself to the bone. 
You'll be up at 3 a.m. scrubbing the floor with bleach just to make sure it's pristine. Some people call it OCD. And the world says, oh, that's a good quality. Being driven by something else is not a good quality. Where you sacrifice things that are valuable for things that just seem important at the moment. But our memories, but our memories can tell us that that's the truth. And we can get affirmation from others. Oh, you did an excellent job working 74 hours that week. And we're like, oh, I'm encouraged because like someone recognized I was doing some hard work. And that memory can trigger that behavioral pattern where we drive ourselves into an early grave. Memories. You've got your, your, your mind, your will, your emotions, your conscience, your memories. You've got your heart, the very inner core of you. The Bible says guard it because out of it flows the issues of life in your innermost being. Sometimes your brain is, doesn't work well enough to understand everything that's going on in your heart. Sometimes we wanna control the way we're going on inside of our heart, the affections that we have, what we like, don't like. Sometimes we like sin. Sometimes we're like, it's just dark inside. Jeremiah says that someone who's not in Christ, their heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. The heart is dark. Your soul needs a touch from Jesus. He heals so that he heals your mind, takes you out of darkness so you can think straight. How many of you guys ever made stupid decisions? And afterwards goes, that was really stupid. And it wasn't because you didn't know better. You knew better. How many like the power that in your mind, not only can you see what's right and see the best way to go, but have the power to perform it? Hallelujah. That's salvation. That's what Jesus came to, he came to fix your mind. He came to fix your will so that it's empowered to do. He says he works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He comes and fixes your emotions. You know, well, depression, depression isn't in heaven, by the way. Hmm. Praise God, I wouldn't want to spend eternity depressed. If you don't want to spend there, then don't go to hell, please. There's wailing and gnashing of teeth. There's joy. The Bible says in his presence there's fullness of joy. Jesus is the healer. He comes to heal your heart. He comes to heal your mind, your emotions, so that your emotions aren't going to be what controls you. All right. How many of you guys have lost your temper? Yeah, be honest now. Come on. I think probably all of us should be raising our hand at some point here, okay? Now, my point is, is this. You lost it. You lost your temper. You got enraged at something. And afterwards, you're like, I don't know why I did it. Your emotions took over and you behaved in a way that may be even inconsistent to the way you normally do things. Your emotions led you. When there are people who have, I'm not going to ask for hands on this one, but there are some of you, you struggle with suicidal thoughts. You struggle with depression and, and your emotions are telling you it's just better to, to, to answer this thing permanently to a temporary question. And you think, if I just do that, if, if, I, if, if I just take my life, I've been there, done it. I got a bullet hole in my side where I tried it. I'm grateful to God that he didn't let that be answered the way. I even prayed. I said, God, I said, I said will you take my life or I will? That's what I said to him. 
Praise God that he, he spared my life because I was bleeding out. And there was an ambulance that came to my house on a false alarm call about, I don't know, however long. My, my stepfather called 911 in about 30 seconds. They were already on my street. They were about three houses down and they were already there on a false alarm call. And if, if it, I don't know how long I had been there bleeding out. I don't know. But God spared my life. And I'm telling you, he heals to the core. He heals so that that, that depression, that, that, that loneliness, that, that even despair of yourself. Some of you, yes, thank you, Lord. Some of you are struggling with, you hate who you are. God is not hating on you. He's calling you out to be healed. He's calling you out for a new life. He's calling you out because he wants to transform your soul. He has the power to heal to the nth degree, to the very core of your being, giving you new life so that your mind, your emotions, your will, your memories, he can heal so that although you remember the incident, it no longer stings. How many of you have done stuff that even now, if you think back, you're like, oof. Like, oh man, that was like, oh. It makes you cringe. And some things we think back and they'll make you cry. There's some things that you lay on your bed and you're like, and it, you, you feel the ickiness of it. And it doesn't matter how many times you shower. It doesn't matter how much, I don't know, links or whatever that stuff is that people use. Well, that's what I use anyway. Doesn't matter how much, it doesn't wash off the ick. He heals to the core, even your memories, so that he can take the sting and the ick and wash it away. He comes to heal your conscience from being hardened, from being defiled, from being constantly, you know that constant sense of guilt some people feel? Maybe that's you where it's just no matter what you do, it's just never good enough. There's just this constant sense of guilt. He has a way of healing the conscience and washing the conscience clean so that you can have a good conscience before God, so that you can approach him with boldness and assurance, knowing that that blood availed for me, and he heals it so I don't struggle with it anymore. And the heart, well... The healing has to be so deep that it's an exchange. <laughs> Some things really, I want to be careful how I say this. Some things can't get healed. He's got to change it out. And in the new covenant that Jesus made in his blood, he says, I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. A brand new one. <laughs> Affections that are Godward. Where I actually, I enjoy worship. I do. I love being in the presence of God with his saints. It's a joy to me. I could do it for hours. Oh, we do do it for hours, but I could do it for longer. I love it. I enjoy it. I, 
I, when, when God comes near, I love his word when it opens for me. Sometimes it's hard work, I agree. But so, when it's open and it's just like, Lord, this is like food for my soul. This is like, this is, this is better than life. And for somebody who couldn't read very well, that's quite amazing to me. And he gives us new affections. He says, I write my laws on your heart. It's amazing. He comes to heal your soul. And above all that, listen, because Jesus comes to heal, he has to deal with the very inner core of you. Not your heart, but that part that relates to God. See, when God made man at the very beginning, it says he breathed in him. Now, let me just, so God takes the dust to the ground and he forms Adam, almost like clay. You can look at it like that. And he forms Adam and then he breathes inside of him and he becomes a living being. The spirit of God comes into Adam. He has a relationship with God. He's someone who can walk with God. He's not cowering on the ground when God is near. When it says that God comes and walks in the cool of the day, uh, Adam isn't panicking, at least not before sin. And he comes and and, and this this new, this, this, this spiritual life. But when Adam sins, that life goes. God says the day you eat of that fruit will be the day that you die. And he did. Spiritually, he died immediately. You know it because he got stupid. He tried to run into the bushes and hide from God. Like, come on, dude. He got fearful. Never been afraid of God that wanted to run away. Any fear that he had would have made him run to God. And then he starts blaming everyone else for his problems. You know it's bad. But his soul, inner core, his spirit is separated, dies, there's there's no life. And without that, you can't even see God. Without that, spiritual things don't make any sense. Without new life there, the core, life, then spiritual things are foolishness to you. But the spirit of God comes and he works a work so deep inside you that he makes you alive when you are dead. He makes us alive when we were dead in trespasses and sins. And he enables us to respond to the gospel of grace and say, yes, Jesus. See, the gospel is the power of God, but it's the wisdom of God as well. And to those when it's preached, to those who who don't yet believe that there's no life in them, it's just foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. You can see it. And so Jesus heals so deeply that it heals your body. Uh, He's going to raise all of you from the dead. Say, what if I don't believe? You'll get raised up, but you want to go where you'll end up. See, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And when it comes, not only does he heal physically now, but when it comes to eternity, there'll be a moment in his return when Jesus comes back that he will raise every single human being from the dead. It says that everyone will see him when he comes on the clouds of heaven. He said the son of man will come on the clouds of heaven and every eye will see him. He's quoting from Daniel chapter seven where he's the son of man who's given a kingdom that has domain over everything by the ancient of days. And this is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of Christ. This is the one we look forward to when he comes back and all the idiotcy, he's just gonna go away because he's gonna reign, hallelujah. But he's gonna come back and he's gonna raise everyone from the dead. Well, actually, he's gonna raise those who belong to him first. 
And then at the end, uh, he's going to raise all of us or every human being. Pardon me, I'm not included in that group. The great and the small. And everyone gets to stand before the throne. And the books are opened. Everything you've done is recorded. And you'll be judged accordingly. I say, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought if I believe in Jesus, it just, listen, it's still recorded. To those who belong to him, there's opportunity for the reward. Remember Jesus said, when he comes, my reward is with me. And he'll reward those who have been faithful. Those that, Paul says, I'm going to get a crown from him when he returns. The crown of life. Because he faithfully did the, the vision that God gave him. He fulfilled it, kept walking it all the way through at personal cost. But he said, anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, they're cast into the lake of fire. I don't know that I'd want to live forever there. But you don't really get a choice. I've heard people say, well, God doesn't send anyone to hell they choose. That's a lie. You're thrown into the lake of fire, according to Scripture. You're an enemy of God. And God deals with his enemies. Say, so I don't like it. And? I don't believe it. Okay. It won't make one bit of difference. I'll tell you this. If tonight is the last night you get to hear the gospel, if tonight is the last night you get to hear of Jesus, and I, I'm with you standing there at that throne room, and the judgment comes, and you've not put your trust in Christ, I tell you, God, I'll say, listen, I sent that bloke over there to tell you. This moment will come back to your mind and you will, you will wish, you will plead, but there's nobody listening. You will, you will try to defend it. Well, I tried to do this and I did that and maybe this and is anything going to work? I don't know you. The reason Jesus had to die was to save us from a lost eternity so that we could become sons and daughters of the living God so that he could heal our lives, not just for eternity, but for now, so that we can display his glory on the earth, so that we could show forth his praise on the earth, so that we could live as kings and priests on the earth, so that we could display the glory of God, that it would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, and the knowledge of it would be seen by everyone else, that God would be glorified. See, the thing is, is that that evangelism exists because worship doesn't. We got to preach the gospel to every creature so that in hopes that people will turn, put their trust in Christ and become a worshiper of him. Because there's only one true God. I'll say it again. There's only one true God. Well, I think, I don't care what you think. There's only one true God. One true God. Allah doesn't exist. He's a myth. At worst, he's a demon. Buddha can't help you. Confucius can't help you. Any of the 330 million gods and goddesses of, of Hinduism, they can't help you. Well, they, can, might, they, they might give you some money, but be rich on your way to hell. That's up to you. I want life. When many fought, stopped following Jesus, Jesus turned to them and asked them, or to his disciples, are you going to? And Peter turned and says, you have the words of eternal life. To whom else can we, where, where else can we go? But see, when someone has that revelation that that's the most important, 
I'm going to tell you, so I'll tell you a secret. That means the spirit of God has already begun to do something in you to help you. When you realize life's a vapor and everything in this life is going anyway, please hear me. I hope it happens before we hit 80 years old. Because when you're 80 and you look back and you think, what do I really have? What is my life? Well, that's just, maybe time has taught you a little bit of that one. But when the Spirit of God comes to convict you of the realities that your life is a vapor, even when we're young, that he calls us even when we're young to follow, so we don't waste our life, so that when we come to live for the things of eternity, listen, young people, there's a purpose in your life. There's a meaning to it. The world tells you there is no meaning. The world tells you that just satisfy every desire that comes and do it this way, do it that way. But the God of glory has meaning for your life. He has things that he's planned long before you were born for you to fulfill. And there are things that only he has designed for you so that you could walk in it. We are his, his creation. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Some of us, some of you, so I'm gonna, sorry, I'm gonna be blunt with this. Some of you have parents that have not walked with Jesus. Maybe they've gone to church, maybe they haven't, but they've not walked with Jesus. Can I say to you, don't be like them. I'm sorry if that insults anyone, but don't be like them. There's a whole, there's a whole passage in scripture where God wants to make sure that children don't walk in the same steps as rebellious parents. Just saying. God doesn't pull any punches. Why? Because the soul is too valuable. You're too valuable to mess with. And sometimes people can be in church and they're just hypocrites. They're play actors and they say, hi, pastor, nice to see you. Nice message. And they go home and they're doing all sorts of wicked and evil things. And the community, we see it. But you don't want to tell me about it. I'll tell you that. Nobody wants to grasp, right? but you know it. <laughs> I'm tempted, I won't, I'm refraining at the moment. Because if you got called out here, the shame that you would have by your own community, because of the behavior that you have outside saying that you're Christian. So you got baptized. When someone gets baptized, it's a public declaration that I'm following Jesus. That's what it is. Someone gets baptized and they start behaving here. <laughs> What if the Spirit of God just came right now and just revealed all your junk? Everything in your life. Everything you're looking at, you're trolling online, everything. You'd either break and maybe repentance, that would be the hope. Or you'd just walk out mad. How about this? Don't make that the groundwork. Don't make that the necessity before you repent. Because God just might let you sit there. Jesus is the true healer. What time is it? We got a couple more minutes. We okay? Can I do the last one? Is that all? Just for a, just for a couple of minutes, yeah? Jesus is the one who's returning. He's the soon coming king. Jesus is coming back. Okay, you know why Israel is such a hot spot? Because the devil hates Israel. 
Because <laughs> it's the one physical place God has established as a testimony to himself. He's the one who called Abraham. He's the one that worked in Isaac, not Ishmael. He's the one that raised up the 12 tribes. He's the one that made a nation. He's the one that delivered them from Egypt. He's the one that gave them a land that gave them power to conquer. And so going all the way back under Moses there, and then Joshua, God gave them a land. In fact, the very name of the place is Israel. That was the name God gave to Jacob after Jacob got done wrestling with him. God wrestled with Jacob, and Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He said, what's your name? Oh, that's a hard one. Because when he was before his dad and he tried to get a blessing, he pretended to be his brother Esau. And he got his dad to lay hands on him and bless him. And he had a name that was Jacob, which means deceiver, supplanter. And God says, what's your name? Let me say this. Some of you don't want to be honest and humble enough to acknowledge where you're really at. When you do, if you cover your sin, there's no mercy. But when you give it to God and you admit it, you confess it, then there's forgiveness and reconciliation that happens. And at that moment, Jacob, I don't know, by the Spirit of God, turns around and says, I'm Jacob. I'm a supplanter. I'm a deceiver. And God says, no more. You're a prince with God. And he gives, him the, he gives him the name Israel. And then his sons become the sons of Israel. And his children become the children of Israel. And the land God gives him becomes the land of Israel. It's a hot spot in the world because the devil hates it. It's the testimony that God has been working on the planet. It's the place where Christ died and rose. It's a place where God says is his footstool in scripture. He says, it's my footstool. Heaven is his throne and Jerusalem is his footstool. He says, that's my space. I tell you, a footstool is no insult if it's God. Israel is the centerpiece. In fact, so much of what they call eschatology, can you say that word, eschatology? Eschatology means the study of the last things. Oh, I tell you, it's a wonderful study if you ever take time to work it through. It's complicated sometimes, I agree. But there are things that are really clear. Start with those and you can work out the rest. Anyway, but eschatology, and so much of what God's going to do centers on that space on the, on the planet. The Mount of Olives where Jesus comes down. He descends, he lands. The same place where he took off from, if you remember. And they were standing around looking around. Jesus kind of goes, whoop. And then a cloud hides him. It wasn't an ordinary cloud. It's not like in Wales. It wasn't that kind of a cloud. It was a cloud of heaven. Because he's coming back on the clouds of heaven. How about this? Heaven has clouds. Don't know what they look like, but they, I bet you they're pretty cool. And he's going to come back in power and great glory. And the angel appears there. The guys are looking up, thinking, where'd he go? They didn't realize what all was happening. And they're looking, these disciples, they're like, well, where'd he go? And then all of a sudden, some dude's standing next to him. He's an angel. Um, the way you saw him go is the way you're going to see him come back. You're going to see him with your eyes. He says, every eye will see him. 
I'm, I, I struggle with this teaching that there's some kind of an invisible return of Jesus. I've heard people teach it. I'm not convinced on it. I'm telling you, be honest with you. I've heard people, and they, they're really good at making all their diagrams and everything else. Uh, uh, there's just something about it, because Scripture says that they, we will see him, and the, the, the people of the earth will mourn, even the great people of the earth will mourn and cry out to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus is going to come back vindicated on a white horse. He's coming back in power. He's going to come back and raise the dead first. We who are died and we belong to Christ, you'll be raised first. Then if you're still alive, you get caught up together with him in the air. And in the process, just like he raises the dead and he gives them a body just like his when he rose up, it's a perfect one. It's glorious. It's powerful. It'll never die again. And we, if you're still alive when it happens, you'll get caught up together with him and you'll be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. The Bible says at the trumpet sound. In fact, it's more specific in 1 Corinthians 15. It says at the last trumpet. For real. Which trumpet? Last one. You know, if you read Revelations chapter 8, uh, 13, no, 11, there are seven trumpets that are mentioned. Read what number seven says. And the kingdoms of our God become the kingdoms of Christ. He comes back on a white horse. He's not riding a donkey no more. It says, out of his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword. His eyes are a flame of fire. His clothes are like dipped in blood. He comes to bring war. He comes to kick backside. He says he's going to deal with that antichrist, that man of sin, with the breath of his mouth. So when it comes to fighting, he doesn't have to lift a finger. He's going to go, You've not seen power. You've not seen authority. We think men are so important and they carry so much influence in your life and the fear of men wrecks people. You've seen nothing. He'll come back in glory and power. Not to die again, but to bring salvation to everyone who has been waiting for him everyone who belongs to him, everyone who's in his book, everyone who has been purchased by his blood at the cross, every person that not just says, Lord, Lord, but they actually really follow him because that's the evidence of genuine faith. Genuine faith, is, it's by grace, always by grace, but it always produces an activity of life that's different from what you were before. You're transformed by the power of God. You become a new creation. And Jesus will know whose are his. How about this? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 14, that, you'll be, that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit himself is the seal. <laughs> right. Um, sometimes a long time ago, people would like send letters and they would stamp the letter with a bit of wax and they'd say, this is from me, right? And you knew it was from them. You knew who it belonged to. You knew where it was from. And, and, and you, would, you would have that. All right? Okay. And then uh, Jesus says, or pardon me, Ephesians says, that when it comes to the Spirit of God, it's God's stamp of ownership on you. 
So when Jesus comes back, guess what? He knows whose are his. Now we don't. We don't. I look at you and I think, wow, that's a nice person. I think, well, that guy's in hell. He's man. Anyway. I don't know whose are his. Well, I have to look at the fruit, don't I? I, I yeah, that's what I'm told to do. Is it, don't, don't judge by mere appearance. Look, look at the fruit. And, and the fruit should tell you what kind of tree it is. Yeah? A good tree bears, and a bad tree bears. So if it's a bad fruited tree, then you need to change the tree, change the root system, and be grafted into Christ. Right? But, but you look at the tree. You look at what kind of fruit. Don't take everyone at their word. Sorry. People can say all sorts of things. There was a whole movie about that one girl who pretended to be real rich, didn't she? She scammed all sorts of people. She's in prison now. She made everyone think she was some kind of heiress by her words. She had no money and scammed people out of thousands, hundreds of thousands. I, that's, I don't know how she did that. Not that I want to do that. But she's a liar. She was a liar. She was saying stuff that wasn't true. It just took a matter of time before her fruit followed her. Before you could see it. Sometimes it goes before you. Your reputation goes before you. And sometimes it follows you. But either way, a tree will be known by its. When Jesus comes back, he knows whose are his. He said, well, I've only been a Christian a short time. I'm still working on it. Sealed in the spirit. He knows. He knows. We have a soon coming king. If you belong to Jesus tonight, may I say this to you? You need to get yourselves ready. What do I mean? I hear prophetic words being released across different spaces over the earth. And the season in which we're in is going to get rougher. I'm sorry. I wish you say, well, that isn't very good news. Thanks, Pastor. I came for a pep talk. I want to give you truth because truth will make you free. It's going to get rougher. And I'll say this. It seems from Scripture, it seems that if you're a follower of Jesus, for you, it'll get more intense. And only the grace of God at work in your life will make it make you able to stand and go the distance. That's why Jesus makes the statement, those who endure to the end shall be saved. He's not saying that you have to endure and that's what's going to save you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the endurance to the end is the reality of what's inside. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. So he gives power and strength and grace. When we come to the throne for, in prayer, when we come before him, he'll give you mercy. He'll give you grace. He'll give you help. He'll give, don't assume, well, I just prayed the prayer to be saved. So therefore it's all going to be, no, 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 no. You don't understand. See, you can be born, but a child is born. Look at these little ones here. Little tiny ones. Some are getting bigger now. And we watch them growing up. But if they don't eat right, what happens? If they're not feeding right and mama and daddy don't give them no food and lock them in a closet somewhere, they're not going to grow very well, will they? Besides that, they'll probably get taken off you because that's abuse. <laughs> they need the proper nourishment. And we don't get it. We don't get enough iron and our skin goes weird and we don't get enough of this and this happens. We eat too much and this is what happens. I'm working on it. I am. 
The thing is, is that saints, there's spiritual food that only comes when you go to him for it. Only as you spend time in his word. Can I give you three, three helps in growing maturity? Yeah, we okay? We'll finish up. I'll give you three helps. First one is that intimate relationship with him. Okay, you need to spend time in secret with him. Okay, that went really quiet, so that tells me there's an issue. You need to take time with your Bible, your prayer life, and you need to go to him without anybody else. Spend time waiting on him. Read the Bible. I know it sounds like, well, how can he speak to me? He will speak to you through his word. That's the main place the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wrote the book. He wants to feed you with the words that he has already spoken. Listen, I know we love to hear words of knowledge and prophecy. Oh, wonderful. I have no issue with that. But if we won't listen to the stuff he's already said, why do you think he's going to give you a whole bunch of extra stuff? I'll say it again. If you won't take on board what he's already written down for you, 66 books, 1190 chapters in the Bible, word for word, breathed by God, and he's given that to you, and you're like, I can't be bothered. Why do you think when you come up for prayer, and even if a prophetic word is given, you go back unchanged? See, that word should come in accompaniment with what he wrote. So that it makes the difference, because I'm hungry for his word, not an experience. <sighs> See, some of you here, you've said you follow Christ, but I know you're not. You know you're not. But you've experienced the presence of God here. You know it. The atmosphere. Maybe even something like inside you've... That experience isn't the same thing as following him. Please don't be deceived by a feeling. But as you spend time in his word, you call upon him. You know, he wants to make you the blessing. Lord, help me with this one. See, some of you want to get in ministry, serve others. Fantastic. Bless you. But sometimes we have more faith to pray for someone else than for what you need. We're like, I know I can pray for, you know, Timmy, I know I can pray for him and he gets healed, I, but my, my son, my daughter might be having a problem and I'm like panicking them. God wants to make you the blessing. How about this? What if you just stood under his waterfall and got filled up to overflowing? Guess how much there'd be for everybody else? Okay, you wanna grow? Get under it. You want to grow? You got to be there. You want to grow? You got to feed there. You want to grow? You got to drink there. Spend the time there. That's your first one. Number two, fellowship. See, there's something about it that although when we're, we belong to Jesus, he says, I'm with you. We are, he is. Full stop. He'll never leave or forsake. He's sworn. He's promised. He's sealed it in his own blood. And he seals us with his spirit. But there's something different when we gather. We're in the kingdom but when we gather together as an assembly, it's called church. You say, well, I'm church. No, you're not. We are. Okay, it's the assembly. It's actually the gathering together of living stones. It's not the building. It's us. But Jesus said, we're two or three gathered in my name. I'm what? In the midst. There's a difference. 
And what happens in that kind of fellowship, not only is love shared, but we minister to one another with the grace God has given us. So there's a mutualness to it. So we, we've done things like here. So we have like foundation classes and, and those are fellowship around the word. We have life groups where people can go and gather and, and they can pray together. They can be in the word together, but there's fellowship. The design is that you learn how to use the gifts God's given you to minister to others and then to be on the receiving end of those ministries to you. That doesn't include me. I'm not, I'm not involved in that. That's just everybody. I got my own things where I'm mutually, I meet with pastors sometimes once a week, sometimes maybe a little bit less than that. We do like five-hour coffees. And we minister to one another. We fellowship together. And by that, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm trying to remember what verse, it says, but as we do that together, that we build up ourselves in love. So you build up one another. We need it. If you have believers in your home, guess what you can do in your home? Fellowship, build them up, tear them down. Don't say things that are gonna rip people apart. Don't curse and swear. Don't hurt. You wanna build them up, why? Because there's a mutualness to building each other up. You wanna grow, you need fellowship. Fair enough? First one is what? Your intimate place with him. Second one is? I want to just make sure you know it so when you walk out the door, there's no excuse. Thirdly, you need to serve. See, we don't serve to get here. It's because we're here that we serve. So there'll be instances where you need to do something that you don't get any personal kickback from. See, fellowship is different. If I sit down with Ollie, we're ministering to each other. You know, he, he encourages me. He's got a prophetic gifting. He, I think he kind of tries to deny it, but he does. And it's his fault that we opened during the pandemic. Anyway, you hear that internet? It was his fault. Um, <laughs> and he's got, this, he's got this prophetic gifting. And when he's in prayer, God speaks to him and gives him scriptures. And when he prays, he just prays it out. So Ollie and I can be together and he can pray for me. I can pray for him. We minister to one another. That's different than me going to somebody who isn't a believer and talking to them. Because they don't have anything I need. Hallelujah. Yeah? That's why we don't fellowship with unbelievers. That's why if you hang out with unbelievers and look to get your needs met by their resources, you're feeding on death. And it will have an effect on you. The scripture says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So when there's a time though, so like um, the, the, the adults that are helping out with, with Jam and Riot, now although some of those, they might be believers, they're not really in a place where they're giving it. And so they go in and they serve. And sometimes, parents, how many times have your kids been ungrateful? Oh, you're like, I don't know if I want to raise my hand and acknowledge that. And listen, I know we've all done it. We've all been on the receiving end of that. But you do it because you love them and you're ministering, that's just in the natural, you're ministering to them. And sometimes in ministry, people are ungrateful. Ooh. I remember I was preaching this one service some years back now. And uh, one of the young men who had been coming to our church had gone to university here in Cardiff. And, uh, well, he was in a bad way. And then the Lord met with him, changed him. He told his mom. She said she was Christian. Well, she came to church to find out what it was like, find out what happened to her son. She comes in. She, she's sitting in the like third row back over in there. And then after, after, the, after the service, she came to me and she goes, 
listen, I came here because I was going to say thank you for helping my son. But after I heard what you said, I want to punch you in the face. I was like, oh, I'm glad we had pews there because I was standing over here. Some people are just ungrateful. But I didn't let that deter me from helping her. I said, well, let's sit down and talk. I just made sure I was a bit different in case she tried to swing. <laughs> we got to talk with her and pray for her. And that week I got an email from her saying, the Lord's met with her. She goes, it's almost like being born again and again. That's when you minister to those. See, the sea, the dead sea, I've swam in it in Israel. I've swam in it. It's all full of salt and you can float in it. If you go into the, the gift shop, they'll sell you little crystal-like salt, salt things. You can buy them. You're supposed to put them in your bathtub, make you look younger. And does it work? Well, I wasn't going to pay for them, so I was digging around in the mud, filled my pockets with a bunch of them, take them home. I still got them at the house. But do you know why it's dead? Oh, did you catch that? It took you a second. That's all right. Do you know why it's dead? There's no outlet. Everything comes in, it just evaporates. There's, no, there's nothing flowing through it. You know what the Bible says? There's going to come a day when Jesus is going to open up that, that, that well so that what's going to happen is, is it's going to flow through and it's going to purify even the Dead Sea. Oh, there's a point to that. You sit, well, there's a door over there if I need to run, that's fine. You come in here and sit on your backside and you listen. You feed, you go out. <laughs> Happy with yourself. I've done my bit. That's not the Christian life. I'm feeding you from the Word of God. I'm feeding you by the Spirit of God. And I'm putting the Scriptures out for you. I'm putting the doctrines of truth out for you to help you, to cause you to grow. And you're happy to sit there, gluttons of spiritual things. If you want to grow, you have to have something that overflows into others that you're not feeding back from, but you're giving into. It's not a slam. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm telling you the truth. If you want to grow, I tell you, some of the most awesome points where God has revealed some of the greatest things to me is when I've been. In fact, I remember doing 10 years in the prison. Not, I didn't get caught for anything. I was doing ministry in there. And going in every week, sometimes twice a week, ministering to these guys. Some of them had never heard anything of the gospel. Nothing of it. And ministering to them. And giving to them. And some of the times, I tell you, I could tell you some whacked out stories. People shaken. People being delivered because they'd murdered somebody. One guy was standing there and, or sitting there and I said, the Holy Spirit said, put your hands in your pockets. This is while I'm preaching. He said, put your hands in your pockets. I, I was like, what? Put your hands in your pockets. I'm still speaking while this is going on. I put my hands in my pockets. The next word's out of my mouth. And in the name of Jesus, and the guy sitting across the room there jumped up and rushed me and stopped three or four inches from my face. If my hands had been on my pocket, what would have been your response? At least this. But I couldn't do anything. He couldn't touch me. I remember standing there preaching the gospel. I was standing against the wall. I had some guy sitting there. The guys were on there. Sometimes 20 guys in a room. No security. 
oh, I had no idea what I was in. And the guy's standing, sitting here and he's sitting back on his chair and he's kind of giving the whole mocking thing while I'm speaking. And the other guys can see it. I can see it out of the corner of my eye. I just keep speaking. Next thing I know, he falls to the floor and says, who shocked me? Who did that? I said, dude, I didn't touch you at all. I hadn't. I didn't do anything to him. Everyone else of the guys are going, man, God just got you because you're making fun of the preacher. <laughs> now, I'm careful before I think because maybe he's just making a fool. He's just playing stupid. But then he gets back up and gets in his chair, and then all attention was on the gospel again. And I knew that was God's intervention. Yeah. I've seen God gives illustration in words where it's just like illustrations that I still carry around. He showed me how to share the gospel with people who were in a particular situation. But it was only while I was doing it. And it causes you to grow. Those become your pearls. Those things that God shows you so that you can minister to others. We okay? You want to grow? You want to mature? First thing. It's a place of receiving. Fellowship with other who? Believers, other Christians. Can I say to you, pick those not who just say they're Christians, but those that really show the fruit of, okay? So you don't get caught up. Sometimes people say they're Christian, or maybe they first, may they say they are, but they're still looking to climb into bed with you. There was someone who came here and tried to do that. Boy, they're gone. I won't put up with it. There's freedom. When you walk with Jesus, you walk with other believers. It's great. We got a couple of the guys meeting up now. It's wonderful. Some others, they're like saying, I'm hungry. Can I, I want some more, man. Great. Well, let's meet up. Fellowship. And yes, it doesn't matter how old we are. I'll tell you, say a little secret here. So when I'm meeting like Tim and some, and um, who's it, Gonzalo and um, um, Jordan, we're meeting up. I gave him a little book called uh, The Vine. It's got like 39 chapters. The chapter's in there about two pages long. So I said, all right, guys, I don't want to put too heavy on you, so we'll just read one chapter each time we'll get together. That's what I said to him. And then I heard uh, Gonzalo Toronto. So yeah, Tim set up this thing where we're supposed to like pray for 50 minutes and worship for 50 minutes and read so much of the Bible. I'm like, man, I made the standard way too low. I'm telling you, that ministered to me. Your, your level of where you're hungry for, that encouraged me. And I'll say this to you, your testimony must be doing something. Otherwise, you guys probably wouldn't be here. I say it kindly and just, it's doing something. And it ministers to me. Fellowship is a fantastic thing. So intimacy, fellowship, and what's the one over here? Serving. Serving. Giving out. Giving out. Ministering to those in need. I tell you, there's lots of opportunities. Here at New Hope, we believe that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only Savior. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the true healer. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the soon coming King. Let's pray.
Yeah, let's stand up and pray, guys. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't want to assume anything. I don't want to judge by appearance. But I tell you, Jesus is the one that comes to move in your life, to empower you, to heal you to the core. And he's the one that will come back and collect you because you're his. I wonder tonight if you've really decided to follow him. If you've really responded, I mean from the core of your being. Jesus, I need you more than I need my own life. Jesus, I need you more than everything else. I need you more than the air that I breathe. Because with you, I can live forever. Tonight, you're ready to turn from your wickedness, from your sinfulness, from the darkness and degradation of your heart, from your rebellion. You're not a victim, you're a rebel. And you need to turn from your rebellion and surrender your life to the one and only Lord. You need to call upon the name of Jesus and let him save you. You can't save yourself. You don't come to him to save yourself. He's the one that saves you. And tonight you need to make it real. I know you've made professions maybe. Maybe you've been baptized even. But you've not real, you're not walking it. It's not real. Don't pretend all the way to hell. Be humble enough to say, Lord, I don't know what happened. I don't know why it didn't work, so to speak. But Jesus, I want you. I need you. Jesus, I come to you. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. Jesus, I believe you're Lord. Be my Lord. Save me. Save me by your power. Make me clean. Make me your child. Jesus, I trust in you. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Baptize me. Maybe you're tonight, you're one who has put your trust, you know, but you're still kind of going in circles and, and you need to know the power of the Lord. Then ask him. Luke chapter 11 says that he gives his Holy Spirit to him who asks. So humbly, Lord, fill me, baptize me in your spirit. Lord, be Lord inside me in my life. Inside me in my life. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Baptize me. Change me. Let me know your power internally. Help me to do and speak and pray like I ought. Lord, change me. Lord, heal me. Some of you, yes, you put your trust in Christ, but you're still struggling with some background stuff. And he wants to heal you tonight. He has the power and the willingness to heal you tonight. Maybe, see, the thing is, if I say exactly what it is and you come forward for prayer, you're worried what everyone else is going to say. The thing is, is that maybe someone's touched you when you shouldn't have when you were young. Maybe you were hurt by a parent. Maybe someone, someone this weekend we, we met who was slapped by a nurse because she was grieving over her mother's death and for 50 years couldn't cry at any member of family dying. And this weekend, that one thing, God healed her, set her free. And so whatever it may be, if you need a touch from the Lord Jesus, Lord, heal me, heal my heart, heal my life, my conscience, my memories, my emotions. He calls it sanctifying. He makes you holy. He lets his presence permeate every aspect of your life. Lord, heal me. 
And tonight, if you're his and you're walking, you're looking forward to ho with hope, the blessed hope of his return. And so, Lord, we just pray your blessing on each one. Lord, come and heal, come and restore, come and save. Lord, I, I, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. And you're risen from the dead and you have power to transform. You're our Savior. You're our Lord. You're our Deliverer. So it's to you that we come. I'm going to invite our prayer team up now. And if that's you, in our worship time as we sing a couple more songs, if you want prayer for anything along those lines, please make your way forward. Come and pray. Let us stand in the gap with you. Let us pray for you. Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.